you know, when we look at, if you look at CEOs of all the public companies, all the public cannabis companies, one of them is an African-American man and the rest, and one is a white woman and the rest are all white men. Hello, this is Ready for Launch. I'm your host, Ian Black. Every episode, I talk to founders and innovators of early stage companies about how they launch their business into the world. This week, I'm talking to Tahira Ramatula, co-founder and CEO of Commons. They're a natural wellness brand that offers products, education, and a community of coaches around CBD usage. So if you're interested in learning more about using cannabis for health, and the growth of the legal cannabis industry, this is the episode for you. Initiating launch sequence. Five, four, three, two, one. Tahira Ramatula, welcome to Ready for Launch. How are you today? I'm great, how are you? I'm very well. You've been described by Weed Queens as a cannabis investor, advisor, and entrepreneur which I think perfectly describes why I've invited you on the show. That's the kind of people I love having on here. But why don't you kick us off by telling us what's your business called and what's unique about it? Absolutely. So uh, one one business is called Commons, uh, and it is a right now CBD-based products, but we're expanding into other cannabinoids. Uh, it's really focused on plant-based wellness in the health and wellness world. Um, so we were been in market for about a year and the real differentiator on it is that it's not only a product-based company, but it's also a peer-to-peer model. So we engage ambassadors who are then uh, going on and representing the business, educating consumers and allowing for more of a direct relationship uh, with consumers and the products. And then we also hope allowing for income opportunities for a wider range of people to participate in the industry. Ultimate goal is to be in other types of products as well, like THC-based products. And we also think about um, the emergence of psychedelics and how those can impact health and wellness and you know, particularly thinking around mental health. So early stages, lots to come, but that's where we are today. Uh, and then on the other side uh, is a business called Highlands Venture Partners um, that is an investment advisory business that focuses pr- primarily on cannabis uh, and tangents of cannabis investing, um, along with my partner, Jacqueline Bennett, who is also the chief growth officer at Common. So it's all cannabis, CBD, and emerging fields all the time. Very cool. I will come back to your dual roles that you hold, but I'd love to just rewind. You said a lot of phrases there that like some of our audience might not know. CBD, THC, and cannabinoids, I think are the three things I'd love to get you just to talk a bit more about and like, how would you, how would you explain those to people who don't know this world very well? Sure. So let's start with cannabinoids. Uh, those are the compounds that are in both cannabis plants and hemp, plant, and hemp plants. So the cannabis and hemp are cousins of each other, call it. Um, THC and CBD are two of maybe a hundred different cannabinoids that are in the plants. THC uh, is one that people are most familiar with, I would say, if you're an avid cannabis consumer or 
you know, even a, a small one, uh, it is the component, the compound that is psychoactive. So that's what, when people say that they feel high, that is what uh, is contributing to that. CBD, on the other hand, which is, can be found in cannabis, but is in much higher uh, amounts in hemp and hemp derived CBD is what is legal across the country today um, and across many countries. Uh, and that it has no, um, psychoactive effects. So it doesn't impact your brain the way that CB, uh, the way that THC does. But the biggest element around CBD is uh, inflammation, anti-inflammation. So it helps with a lot of daily wellness. And that's why we decided to start with our brand with those products, because we felt like there was a big opportunity there to educate the market around the benefits of, of a compound like CBD. And then there's so many others, which well, we can get into like CBN and CBG and THCV, which are all other cannabinoids that are available in the plants that have different purposes. Uh, but those are really the, the two primary ones that people will t- you'll hear, hear people talking about. Yeah, you mentioned that those are just two of hundreds of ca- cannabinoids, but they're definitely the most well known in like the public sphere. Is that because they're so much more effective in the things they do than other parts or is it just a case of like we learn about one and then the next and you know in next we'll hear the third one and then the fourth one and they will slowly all bubble up to be popular household names well it's really about just the you know with thc in particular because that is the primary psychoactive compound um that's why that has been really the most prevalent because you're not you're not really understanding the effects of the other compounds that are in there. And they really haven't been as studied. Uh, you know, we have a long way to go when it comes to research around cannabis, hemp, and other derivatives of that and, and how different cannabinoids can be synthesized and what the impacts can be. So we're, we're a little bit behind the curve, but it's, I think, catching up quickly now as legalization has shifted. But the research has been going on for quite some time when you look at countries like Israel, where these compounds were initially isolated and and really researched. And so that's why you'll hear about that more. And then CBD is very high in hemp um, and has just been able to, we've seen results from that as well in early studies that the impact that it can have. And then the other ones that, you know, are are still to come are really, they're, they're smaller quantities. They're not as prevalent as the other ones. And so you, you really have to go in and really distill them down. And you need higher volumes of them to be able to feel an impact in certain products. And so there's always, you know, good for us that there's an opportunity for a lot of new to be continuously discovered. Um, But at the same time, what we want to do at Commons is really ground our consumers and our ambassadors in the education component so they can understand what they're layering on and why, or if you even need to. Um, Something, you know, another compound that you might have been hearing more about is Delta-8, which is actually derived from hemp, but has more properties that are more like THC. And so you're seeing new things come out all the time, uh, for better or worse. And I think that that's just going to keep snowballing as the market continues to evolve. And we have just more discipline around the supply chain and the ability to actually study the products, which has really been a a big roadblock in the past. Great. I can't say I've heard of Delta-8, but... Maybe, maybe some of my <laughs> listeners have. We'll introduce you to it. Yeah, perfect. Okay, um, let's rewind a little bit in terms of your journey. So, you know, you mentioned you're co-founder of Commons. You're also a partner at Highland Ventures. 
but you're also a member of the board of directors for a number of other cannabis-related companies, I believe. How do you manage all of that? Um, well, it is a it is a juggling act. I will say that Commons is primary focus and um, have also really had the opportunity to have a great colleague and partner, Jacqueline, who has managed quite a bit on the Highland side. And, you know, we, we came into that as both investors coming from other companies and with other groups that we'd work with and really wanted to focus on the opportunity to bring investment opportunity to more women and minorities. So they were able to engage and a lot of those values kind of translate into to commons as well. And the other things that I'm involved with. And I think being able to surround yourself with people who are both supportive and collaborative, and then also, you know, can, can pick you up when you're falling down uh, is always a, a good thing to have. So I've been lucky in that regard. And it ebbs and flows. There are definitely times when I'm like pulling my hair out and said, okay, this was probably one too many things. Um, but these have all been, a, I guess, a, a culmination of years of experience that kind of came together. And, you know, like the recently there was a, a board that, um, I stepped down from everybody stepped down from because there was an acquisition. And so there's just kind of that natural progression that happens with a lot of these uh, types of, of opportunities. And I feel like they're great learning opportunities and, and ways to engage and have an impact in the market. And you were working for Highland Ventures for a while, I believe, before you started Commons. So what is it that made you want to start your own business? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was twofold. Highlands wasn't that far before Commons. We'd actually been thinking about the idea, and it, both of these actually kind of had long timelines. If, I, if I'm honest, like thinking about Commons started in 2018, and uh, in, in the initial concept idea, and just thinking about where were the gaps in the market and what do you do to to try to fill those. And then on the other side, Highlands. You know, I'd I'd been at a venture capital firm focused on the cannabis space. I'd been working on a couple of different projects, had my own consulting that I did with a variety of brands and businesses in the space. And so there was a natural evolution there. I'm just really on both sides wanting to do things differently. And with the the lens and the view of wanting to get more people engaged in the space and have the opportunity and have the access. Uh, so Highlands came together organically with Jack and we had actually thought about going, we wanted to go out and raise a fund, a dedicated fund, and then COVID hit and things kind of came to a screeching halt. And at the same time, Commons was also starting to be in flight as we were engaging with uh, Thrive Capital. And so just, you know, they kind of came together fortuitously or in similar timelines and I think have been helpful to to get a lens into what's going on in cannabis and CBD and then in broader plant medicine when you think about psychedelics. So uh, it's been a it's been a good helpful process for me, I think, to be able to see the different sides of the market through the different lenses of both Highlands and Commons. Have you been focused on plant based medicine and cannabis for a long time? So I came into the cannabis industry in 2014. So I guess it's been it's been a little bit of time. Um, and really, at that time, you know, my entry into the space was around a personal situation. My when I was in business school, which was 2012 to 2014. But in 2013, my grandfather was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And so as often happens when, you know, somebody in in your world um, gets sick, you're looking for alternative solutions. And that's what my mother was doing. It was her father. And so she immediately started looking for 
just alternatives to the chemotherapy that he was going to have to go through uh, and or ways to to support that. And she kept coming across cannabis, which was, I think, surprising to everybody that it was something that she would even consider, uh, just given my parents are both pretty devout Muslims who are from Pakistan and had never looked at cannabis in their lives. And so for my mom to text me and my younger sister one day asking if we knew where to get marijuana, you know, we immediately thought that it was a trick uh, because we did not know that she was actively looking at it for for him. And it really just was eye-opening for me, one, to start wanting to think about, you know, what are the what's the broader impact that cannabis actually has? I, I didn't know that much about it, you know, was a consumer as a high school kid, but really hadn't been uh, engaged with it as an adult. And then just learned a lot about what was going on in different parts of the country, parts of the world around research and anecdotal evidence uh, on how cannabis had been supporting health for a variety of ailments for a long time. And then beyond that, also thinking about just the the social justice issues, particularly in the U.S. around the war on drugs and the impact that that had had, uh, which are just things you, you know, you didn't really learn when you were a kid and was surprised when I started to read about it. So it started as a bit of a passion project, just trying to understand it. Uh, I had no idea at the time that there were actually legal jobs in the industry that were, or that there was actually a legal industry. Uh, so it was just, I think, to some degree, very lucky timing that Colorado and Washington had just legalized for adult use. And there, are, there were other medical markets across the country, but few and far between. And it, it was really just starting at that stage. So I was lucky to find an opportunity to join a company straight out of business school and thought, okay, this will either be the shortest but most interesting job I ever have, because who knows what direction this goes in, or I get to be part of something uh, at the very early stages of the formation of an industry and something that I, I truly felt like I cared about and being able to bring something like cannabis to more populations to you know, adjust that stigma that's around it. And we're starting to shoot. I mean, we were starting to see the shift then, but even more so today around people moving away from pharmaceuticals, trying to go more into natural products. And this was just really the start of that. And so that's evolved over time as well, not only from cannabis, but then looking at what's happening in psychedelics and trying to follow that path as well. They're, they're very different types of markets and, and products themselves, but in a similar vein that they have previously been inaccessible, illegal, and now there's a lot more information and research happening that shows how they can be really beneficial and supportive of healthy lifestyles and you know healing trauma or um, battling very you know, aggressive uh, illnesses like cancer and, and just like a whole spectrum um, that I think is pretty fascinating and certainly keeps me on my toes every day because it there's a lot of twisting and turning that happens on a daily basis, especially with something like cannabis where uh, it's still not federally legal in the U.S. So you're you're working in systems that don't completely support what a normal, you know, quote unquote, normal industry would look like. Uh, and so that makes it really challenging on some days, really fun on others, some combination of both on, on most days. And um, I think it's still at the beginning of, of where it's going to be. Yeah, it certainly sounds like a complex world. So is it right to say that before your mother had called you up about your grandfather, like this wouldn't have ever been an industry you would have looked to 
jump into after business school? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think my mother necessarily appreciates me saying that it's all due to her, but it really is in some way uh, heavily due to her. And partially too, because of that, that personal situation and, and thinking about what my grandfather was going through, but also what my mother was going through as the person who's taking care of him and trying to find ways to make, you know, his final months easier. Um, and, and people are going through this all the time. And then you realize as well, just how, what other things you could have been doing earlier in your days, in your life to be able to have a healthier lifestyle or something that, um, you know, can, can keep you in a, in a better position. And it was just interesting to me. I never, you know, back in the day in, in my youth, I had aspired to be a physician. My dad, my dad is a physician. So the health side of it had always been something that I cared about, but wasn't necessarily sure what that translated into and opted against going to medical school. It still found some, you know, draw to it in different ways. Uh, but certainly while I was in business school, it was not something that anybody was actually even talking about, um, which was probably the bigger aspect of why getting engaged with it wouldn't have been feasible or even thought about had she not brought it up uh, around that time. And then, I mean, it really, it just so happened that right after my grandfather passed away, I got a, I got a call or a text rather from a former classmate who had graduated from business school and then joined a small startup at that time that was started by alumni of our program who happened to, you know, found the first private equity firm focused on cannabis. And it was still in those very early stages. And they came to our school first to recruit because at that time you weren't really posting those jobs on job boards or you just weren't that prominent because not, not many people wanted to talk to you then. Uh, and, and it was just, had I not gone through that experience with my family and really looking into it, I don't know how much that would have even caught my attention. Um, but it did. And I was one of a very small number of people who even, I think, responded to that uh, opportunity. And here we are today. So managed to stick it out. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, so, you, you know, you went down this obviously very deep rabbit hole of trying to understand the world of cannabis and its various products. You know, did you manage to find something for your grandfather or did you start experimenting for yourself first? Like what does that process look, look like? Yeah, we, we unfortunately were not able to get anything for him, which was part of the experience that motivated me more to get into the space because it seemed like something that should be so accessible and is to some degree if you're operating within the illegal market. And one of the first things I said to my mom was, you know, I do know where to get it, but one, you're not going there. They're not coming to you. And then next thing is, I don't know what's on it. I don't know what's in it. We can't, we certainly can't give that to my grandfather who has a compromised immune system. And so not having something that, you know, is well tested and that you know exactly what's, uh, what the processing has been like and all that was really available at that time was flour and he had lung cancer, so he wasn't going to smoke it. Uh, and that was really all that you could find unless you were someone who knew how to, you know, create oil from it and cook with it. So we actually weren't able to get anything with him or for him, uh, but learned a, a lot in the process. And also you just don't know 
you know, and nowadays, I'll say this, I'm probably going to trouble from some people, but like people can travel with it. You know, there's, there's just much more awareness and understanding around what you can and can't do. But at that time I was like, well, I'm not going to get it shipped from somebody in California. Uh, that seemed like something that was fairly impossible and, and certainly not safe to do. So fortunately we were not able to get it for him, but it did set me off on my own just exploration as far as education. I didn't actually uh, really consume any product or try different things that were in the market until I was in the industry and I was living in Washington uh, in Seattle at that time. And so that was a legal market and you're able to just access a lot more in a pretty direct and safe way that wasn't available at that time when you looked at the illegal market. Hmm. So at what point did you go from starting to try, how did you get from starting to try some of these products to wanting to create your own? I think it was a combination of the just the evolu- evolution of the market and my own interests. So early days, I had the, the good fortune of really doing to some degree what I get to do now, which is both looking from the operating side and the investing side. And um, I, I entered my first job in an investing role and was also uh, simultaneously, simultaneously put into an operating role to build and launch a brand that at that time was pretty early in the market. You know, when you think about 2014 uh, and what compared to what we see today, there are thousands and thousands of brands today that are look like any other consumer products industry. So great packaging, great branding, you know, marketing that didn't really exist at that time. And so I had the opportunity to work on something really early and that was new for me, but really exciting and made me realize that I like the operating side of the business, uh, particularly as it relates to brands, which uh, you know are very challenging to do, is not for everybody. And I just knew that I like to see the full evolution, you know, from soup to nuts on how you develop a brand, what products you're picking, how you resonate with consumers at the end of the day, like what creates stickiness. So that was my first uh, opportunity there, and then worked with a lot of brands after I left those companies and helping them get to market and understanding just where they should position themselves. Um, So I had the opportunity to just kind of get this full view on what was happening in the market and then really leaned in more on the investing side. And so it was with the venture capital fund. I also was part of a a SPAC in the early, well, we would call the earlier days of SPACs uh, in 2018. And so hadn't been doing as much on the on the product side itself and just started to see more and more the gaps that I thought were forming as far as where the brands were and how they were positioning themselves and who they were targeting and you know, broader population. So I, I would think a lot about, you know, who's trying to talk to people who aren't on the coast or maybe aren't in the more, you know, concentrated markets like LA or San Francisco, or even when you think of New York, it, even though it's not, completely legalized yet, there's a pretty active illegal market that looks very much like a legal market. And that's where people are really focusing a lot of their time and attention. But you have all of this space across the country of people who could, I think, really benefit from cannabis and CBD uh, and really aren't engaging with it or have access to it or have the education um, to 
understand it and, and don't feel as comfortable with it. Um, and it really, when you think about a lot of the populations that have been traditionally involved with cannabis, which black and brown populations who are now and for many years have been as the industry has le- more legalized and become more formal, there's less and less opportunity for those populations to participate. And so what, what can be done about that? Uh, and that's where the, the really the idea for commons and the structure that it's in came together was that by, by utilizing a peer-to-peer model and putting it in that framework, there's the opportunity for more people to actually participate in the market. Uh, and, you know, our, our hope is to be CBD and beyond CBD too. So there's a broader range of products that are available to people, but we chose to start with CBD because even though it's everywhere, you know, you can get it at the gas station, you can get it at department stores, you can get it online. People don't really understand what the difference is. And that education gap was just more and more obvious to me. Even, you know, I sit here and I live and breathe this every single day, but most people don't have that understanding and they just want somebody to, who they trust to walk them through it. And that's really where like the peer-to-peer side of it really started to click with me in that this is just about asking people who you trust for referrals, which we all do, I think, in a pretty natural way on a daily basis. I know I'm always asking people for recommendations or I'm giving them based on experiences that I've had. Uh, And it's just translating that into this business model so more people can actually participate. Yeah, you mentioned there that the black and brown communities are less, there's less opportunity to participate now that it's becoming legalized. Can you explain a bit more about why that's the case? It's pretty expensive to try to participate in the industry when you think about licensing and the all the steps that you have to go through to secure a license, to bring, you know, if you think about a retail environment, to get a lease on a building, to, you know, hire staff outside of just getting that license alone. So all the different steps and the amount of capital that are that it takes to get to those points is has been quite prohibitive, you know, and to some degree you say rightfully so because it requires that. But then on the other side, you're really narrowing, narrowing the populations that actually have the ability to engage. And so, you know, when we look at, if you look at CEOs of all the public companies, all the public cannabis companies, one of them is an African-American man and the rest and one is a white woman and the rest are all white men. And those who could probably come in and afford to start to either have investors, you know, come from that, that experience where they can raise that capital or have some kind of experience that they can transition that into cannabis. And for a lot of people too, it, when you think even five years ago, uh, everybody wasn't necessarily running into the cannabis in- industry. It was a, it was a risk. And, for people to take that risk. You know, I, I was fortunate to be in a position coming out of business school where it's like, that's the time to take the risk. But if I was, you know, a couple of years before still at my job at a hedge fund, I, I don't know if I would have been take, willing to take that risk, right? You're, you're risking your, your career at that point, the income that you're making, and then wondering if you'll be employable if anything, if things don't go right. And so I think it's like the combination of those things and like the, the capital, the, the access to resources, you know, that's a lot of legal and all of these different services in order to just get you through to a license and then being able to, to maintain the business itself. 
Um, and I think that's been, I don't think it's been intentionally prohibitive as each market has uh, come online and, and structured itself, but it's ended up becoming that way because of just the different requirements that have been put into place. And I'm not saying that there is necessarily an even better way to do it, but it should have been, there should have been more opportunities for social equity applicants or people who maybe don't have that same uh, you know, bucket of resources to participate in the space in an easier way. And when you look at some of the newer markets that are legalizing like a state like New York, they're trying to make social equity a significant part of licenses that are being awarded. So New York is trying to do 50%. Um, what has to go into all of that, though, is the support for all of those people who maybe you know don't, don't have the the business history or the financial history or all of that to be able to support the business, but they're trying to put in a lot of those measures in order to ensure that there's equal opportunity. Do you know, like take a state that's about to legalize like New York, you said, are a lot of the businesses that come up people who were selling illegally and then just like transitioning into a legal standpoint, or is it kind of like, new people are take are creating new legal ones and they're just destroying all the people who were making money from it illegally beforehand. So I think the, in the earlier markets, it had been predominantly new people coming into the market and there were those who we call coming out of the, the legacy market, trying to move into legal structures, but the taxes alone have been, crushing people. And this is, you know, no matter if you came from the illegal market before, or you came from just, you know, a different market altogether, um, the, the tax rules make it pretty challenging to be able to earn a profit in this business. And that'll change once there's federal legalization, but we're, we're moving at a snail's pace when it comes to that. Um, what, what I've seen more in markets like a New York or some of the, the newer markets is they're learning from what's happening in those other markets. And those um, legacy operations are starting their transition a lot earlier because they're learning what other people are doing or the funding that it takes or the, the hoops that you have to jump through. Um, and, you know, New York is a really interesting market today because it's been, the adult use market has been legalized but it's not in practice yet. So licenses have not been awarded. You know, the, there aren't dispensaries like there are in other states across the country that are fully legalized, but it's operating to some degree like it is a, it's already open and legalized, meaning that there are technically illegal dispensaries and sales of cannabis happening and it's not really being enforced. Um, so it's this funny kind of quasi legal, but not really quasi legal. It's just illegal <laughs> happening as the market is going through this transition. And a lot of those operators are the legacy market because they already, you know, they, they have product, they are transitioning it into more formal packaging and adjusting to what they're seeing in other legalized markets. And they want to be at the front of the line when the market actually ships into this new adult use market and they want the opportunity to access those licenses. Um, so it's been a, a little bit of a mix. And there are other markets that I've seen too, like Michigan, where there are legacy operators who've had more of an opportunity to participate in the market. But when you look at the largest organizations, the ones that are uh, 
MSOs or multi-state operators, those are by and large founded and led by people who came from outside the industry and not from those who were ever legacy operators, but rather came from entirely different industries and had the, the resources to you know, get those types of businesses off the ground and, and fund them in the various capacities that they needed to. It sounds very convoluted from even just from a, from a business owner's perspective of like, what is legal? What can I do? I imagine that's compounded when you're a consumer and you're trying to figure out if you're even allowed to buy this stuff. And depending on where you are in the States, it's very different. Do you think that is holding back people's adoption of this as a tool for health? I, I think so. And I think particularly in markets where it's maybe not as prevalent, you know, you look at a market like California, there are dispensaries everywhere. There's advertising. It's operating much more in a you know, normal capacity than some other markets are. And that, that market's also just been around a bit longer. Um, and then for some people, it's just not having that comfort and in going into a dispensary and, having confidence in knowing what to ask for, what to talk about, or trusting the people who are working there to, to tell you what to do. And I think that that, for some, is a little bit of a barrier. Um, it is interesting to see, particularly with COVID and the, the move forward with online ordering and delivery opportunities, which were somewhat limited in the U.S. because it's a market-by-market decision, and so it wasn't as available. But Fortunately, at the beginning of 2020, as, as COVID was really hitting um, the country, then a lot of different jurisdictions opted to have cannabis as an essential service. And so with that came in the opportunity then to do online ordering and uh, curbside pickup. And I think some of that allowed for people to engage because you know, it kind of took the fear away and not really understanding, being able to just like get it and then not have to talk to anybody and not feel like you don't know what's going on. Um, and then I think when you think about products like CBD, which are everywhere, um, the element of that is that you, you just don't really know who to talk to. And that's the feedback that we've gotten too, is that they just it's confusing on who do you ask the questions to. Um, you could be buying it at a brick and mortar establishment and not if it's not just exclusively about CBD, then you don't know how much that person behind the counter is trained on or how much they actually know if they're just speaking from their own personal experience. And so it's just that mix of information, which is what also led to the concept around commons and having that peer-to-peer -peer relationship where you have somebody to talk to and they can suggest products for you. They can monitor with you how you're consuming and what impact it has and help you adjust because it is a little bit of a trial and error, both with THC, with CBD. And if you have a bad experience, which we often hear people have with THC, because more often than not, it's because you've taken too much because you didn't know that you should have started with, you know, one or two milligrams of THC if you're not an, an avid consumer instead of like 10 to 15, um, which can be a big swing for a lot of people. And there's no reason you would know that um, unless you were talking with people. And so being, I think that there's still a, a lot of confusion and, and fear around the impact of it. Uh, and that's really what we want to 
help resolve and having people that you can actually engage with. And it's not to say like a lot of the direct to consumer brands, you know, they have good customer service and people you can engage with, but it's not consistent. And so we can, we can kind of stay on this journey with you as a consumer and suggest new products or other types of things to uh, engage with, as opposed to being a one and done and then setting you off on your own, uh, which, you know, can be scary for a lot of people. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, people can have a bad experience with THC if they take too much. You're not yet in THC, but you are selling CBD products. Is that same thing happening at all with CBD? Not really. The biggest thing that we hear and have really seen happening with CBD is that people will say that they just, they felt nothing. Um, And because CBD is not a psychoactive cannabinoid, it is, it's harder to tell if it's working or not. Um, You know, it's, it's like vitamins sometimes where you're going to be taking them for 30 or 60 days. And that on on a daily basis, you're not going to be like, oh, yes, I can tell that this is working for me. But after a certain period of time, you can see an improvement in whatever it is that you were taking that for. Um, And CBD can often be that way. Now, on the other side of it, there are people and myself included that when they're in particular doses, like higher dosages, that there is a there is an effect that is felt, but it's subtle, like 15 to 20 minutes, you might feel you might realize that you felt a bit calmer or that your pain has reduced or something along those lines. Um, And I've certainly had experiences like that. But it's not the it's just not the same as THC, where it's like a very different effect that is quite prominent for people because of that impact that it has uh, on your brain. Mm -hmm. You mentioned at the start, you know, a very common use case for CBD is anti-inflammation. And, mm-hmm. you know, let's say someone is taking it in um, as an alternative to like an anti, a common drug, like anti-inflammation drug, like ibuprofen. I'm not sure what the mm-hmm. like, ter- like US drugs names are, but they often have <laughs> branded names, etc. You, If you took an ibuprofen pill, from your doctor or from the pharmacy, you know, you might be like, okay, I should expect to feel this within an hour, maybe half an hour and notice the difference then. Is CBD not like that? No, it can be like that. And so I actually take, I'm somebody who gets headaches more often than I would like. uh, And I've, I'm an active, was an active consumer of Advil um, or some form of ibuprofen and take CBD soft gels now as, as a replacement for that. And so in a similar way, it's like, you know, if you took two Advil, you would, you would hope to have some kind of relief in an hour or so. And I, I feel that with CBD and I know a lot of people who take it either in that capacity or for menstrual cramps or for other pain, um, so in that way, it, it can be taken like those types of over-the-counter medications uh, and are, are safer for you. You know, if you take or con- consuming too much ibuprofen or Advil, that's not good for your body. Um, and so this is something that, you know, you can, can be taken in a, a higher amounts or on a more regular basis without having to worry about those negative impacts that come with excessive usage. Hmm. Yeah, so obviously, you know, an Advil or something has been through a lot of medical like research and studies, and, and they know very clearly what those negative effects are. 
like it's terrible for your liver if you take a lot has would had a would a cbd gel pill have gone through a similar experience so there there is a lot more research available now um and even in those studies you know anything from from dosages to what are potential negative impacts uh have been reviewed and like you know for some people there can be things like dry mouth or it could upset your stomach um drowsiness is is often a side effect from CBD, but also for a lot of people, that is what they take it for, is to try to sleep. So call it a side effect if, if that's not what you're going for. Um, and then, but besides that, those are really all that have come to light in the you know, potential negative effects of CBD. Uh, and then in just thinking about the, the body of research that is expanding on a daily basis, you're seeing more uh, educational institutions and universities researching it and often in very specific cases. So as it relates to a, a certain type of illness over a certain period of time, um, you know, there has been a, there are a variety of use cases around things like glaucoma or seizures uh, that CBD has shown to have a significant impact on. And then when it comes to the dosing itself, you know, on a daily basis, you'll hear people taking five milligrams, 10, 25. Um, the studies have shown that up to 1500 milligrams uh, is safe. And so, you know, there's a pretty broad range to work in there. And then they get more refined as time goes on. You know, there's, there are a couple of different groups that have come formed just even in the last couple of years, like radical science, um, which are focused on scientific research around cannabinoids and they've started with CBD and have done a, a range of studies that are around, you know, use cases and how they impact gender and in different situations. So I think we'll see a lot more in the coming years. But for today, we have a lot of comfort around it being safe and effective. Um, and we'll just, we'll continue to learn more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you could kind of pour your whole pot of CBD pills in your mouth and you might just feel a little bit extra tiredness and dry mouth rather than yeah, sending exactly. you to the hospital. So not the worst things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, common cells, CBD in a range of forms, like gummies, gels, oils, probably some more things coming soon. What are the differences between these products and how they and how should people use those different ones? Yeah, so we opted to go with a range of formats too because there are, one, a range of impact that people can experience and going back to the, it's not one size fits all where people need to have, uh, you know, people react in different ways. So um, you have, we have ingestibles, which are the soft gels and gummies that you mentioned, and those go through your digestive tract. So they don't necessarily have the, the fastest onset, but they'll release over time. Um, and then we have something like sublinguals, which we have mints, which could be digested, or you can let them dissolve in your mouth. And we also have these sublingual strips, which are pretty unique. Um, and you let those dissolve inside your mouth and those get absorbed into your bloodstream much faster. So comparing that to a gummy or a soft gel, you might feel that within you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, tinctures are also used in that capacity if you let it absorb in your mouth versus putting it um, in a in food or beverage and then we have topicals which 
you know, are applied directly to your skin, depending on where your, your pain points are, if that's what you're dealing with, and those get absorbed through the skin. So then, you know, they're not entering your bloodstream. Um, so it really depends on one, what you're, what you're trying to treat and what best suits you. So often for someone like me, uh, it's a whole range depending on what it is that I'm dealing with. So like I said, if it's headaches, I will take soft gels. Um, if I've had neck pain or something, I've, we have a roll on balm, uh, that has been really helpful for that. And I've felt that impact in like, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and, and we really keep trying to find different formats and that impact different use cases so we can bring an array of products to consumers. And also we'll, you know, we say we, we try to meet people where they are. So if there's a comfort level around taking something like a soft gel or a gummy, because that fits into your daily routine or the habits that you already have, then we have that accessible to you. But if you're ready, willing, and able to try a different type of product format, then we have something like our sublingual um, dissolvable strips, which are highest dosage and have a pretty prominent impact a lot faster. Um, and so it really just depends, you know, what, what you're trying to deal with and what form you also like better. There's also mixing of the forms too. One thing that we don't carry and um, a, a lot of companies do, uh, but they're the for inhalation. So it can be either flour or a vaporizer, uh, which is also probably one of the fastest ways to get it into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And what, what's the reason behind you not selling those right now? Well, we, for flour, we are, we are focused on health and wellness and thinking about how uh, the combustion of flour can impact someone. Um, so if it's, you know, not that often, but you, you liken it to, to smoking. And is that something that we want to put into the market? Is that something that our consumers want? Um, there are great farmers and producers that we have engaged with who do really uh, wonderful flour. And, you know, there's the option there. It's just really assessing, is that what the, is that the format that the consumer wants to consume CBD in? And then for the vaporizer, it's just, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of conversation around how that that form can impact people in their lungs over time. And so we just want a little bit more research to understand what it, what are the different components and the ingredients that are maybe having negative effects. Um, and I don't know if you recall a couple of years ago, there's this whole vape gate, which was in, almost entirely due to illegal vaporizers being put into the market and that is like the difference between an illegal market and a legal market because then in the legal you can make sure that the the potential ingredients that are being put into uh, the vaporizers are, are safe at at all ranges um but with us we just haven't we haven't figured out the the best safest manufacturing and we want a little bit more research around it uh, so we can we can digest that on behalf of our consumers and make sure that they're getting the the safest products that are out there hmm. so when you're thinking about launching a new product or you know before you launch all your products that you have launched what does that process look like in terms of like creating it testing it just getting it to the point where you are happy to sell it to people um, yeah, it can, it can be a whole range of long and short. There were some products early on that we had a lot of conviction around and just knowing the different formats and the flavors and the dosages uh, and, and finding really great contract manufacturers to work with to go through the formulation with us. Um, 
And so we had a, a small array of products that we knew, okay, these are the ones that we want to initially go out to market with. And more recently, we've been in a phase of working with um, on three different products that we'll be coming out with throughout this year. And we've gone into much more extensive um, consumer testing to see what combinations of different formulas feel more impactful. So an example of that is like, you know, we have, we have a sleep gummy that some people absolutely love and they can't sleep without it. And it's 25 milligrams of CBD and five milligrams of melatonin. But what we also learned just from the consumer feedback, and we have the benefit of having this, this feedback loop with our consumers is that for some people, a gummy before midnight or before they go to sleep doesn't feel like the the thing that they want to consume. So we've started to explore, you know, is a soft gel a better option? Um, are things outside, you know, what are other natural ingredients um, besides melatonin that can be compared that can be paired with CBD to have the desired effect? And so we're collecting all of that feedback that comes now that we do have a base of consumers who've been, you know, consuming our, our first set of products. Uh, and utilizing that to inform what the next next round would be. So we're also working on uh, t- a transdermal patch, and that came from the request from a lot of people that they want, you know, more products or different types of products for pain management. Um, and thinking a lot about this, what we term as like prehab and rehab when you're preparing for sport or after the fact, or even just, you know, any activities that you're going on, how can we have products that support both the before and after? So it's more of like a regular routine and then just a, a one-off thing. And so the, the processes have been anywhere from, you know, uh, six weeks to, to six months, just depending on what it is and the type of testing and, uh, composition that we want to have uh, and have certainly been fortunate to be able to get to market with some products pretty quickly and then others have required much more much R&D which we're happy to be doing and working with great groups that are focused on those areas and helping bringing those products to market. Uh, a lot of these you know the people you're working with on that are they all part of the commons team or are you bringing in like experts on contractors you need to to build your business? Yeah, it's a range. So we are very fortunate to have a medical advisor on our team, Dr. June Chin. And so she has been uh, a physician who's practiced cannabis for 20 years, has a a great body of research on her own and and just data that we're able to leverage to help with directing some different product formats. Like for example, um, the, the patches that we've been testing have been very much coming with help with ingredients and different types of formats that uh, are informed by her research and also on on the sleep capsule side. And then we also have uh, a network of researchers that we've been fortunate to really engage with over time. And both because Jacqueline and I both come from the cannabis industry, Uh, we we have people in like different pockets that we're able to tap into. So we're looking, you know, as an example, the sublingual strips that we have uh, was a group that I was engaged with pre-commons who'd been working on the concept and we were able to to be the ones to bring it to market. And then there are elements around like feminine care products and how do we support uh, women's health through various cannabinoids, whatever those are uh, and what formats of that. And Jacqueline has some great contacts there that she'd worked with in the past. And so we're trying to tap into people who are really experts in different areas 
So we can be that brand that's able to bring the products that they're working on forward um, while they really focus on what they do best, which is the research side of it. So it ebbs and flows in that way because we don't we don't have this in-house R&D team, but a lot of the, the ideas around are from the network and, and just the the great group of people that we've been able to surround ourselves with. Our internal team is, is fairly small. We're under 10 people, um, but it's, you know, small and mighty, as we like to say. Yeah. And those researchers you mentioned, is that where you're getting a lot of your customer feedback from? Or is that through the ambassador program that you're running or somewhere else? Yeah. So it's actually through the ambassador program. Um, and this was, you know, I think part really a part of our original thesis on being able to have this feedback loop with your customers in a way that maybe you can't get when it comes to a product that's being sold in a retail environment or only sold online um, without having that direct ambassador. So being able to, you know, you have someone, our ambassadors talk to the people that they're engaged with, ask them how the product is working with them. They send us, you know, their testimonials or, things that haven't been as beneficial for them. So we can help with suggestions on, okay, what are other products you should try? Or, you know, maybe that wasn't the right amount for you. You should try this. And so we're able to use that direct feedback. And then our hope is that over time, you're aggregating all of this information so we can have really good insights to share out with our ambassador and consumer bases uh, based on actual usage. Right. And right now, if I go to, you know, the Commons site, I could just find a product shop, get it delivered if I was in America. So where <laughs> does the ambassador program, like is it is the ambassador program very just separate from the online experience or how do those two feed into one another? Yeah, so we, it's, it's twofold really where you could, you know, like yourself, you can go to the website, you can purchase pretty clearly like a direct, any direct or consumer brand. Um, and then at some point, if you've, purchased once or a couple of times, we might suggest an ambassador to you uh, based on what you're interested in and, and what guidance you want. And you can also not have one and just be a consumer that's direct to the business. And then on the ambassador side, it's, you know, ambassadors will join us first. They often, well, all of them are consumers of the product. They all have their own personal use cases. And then when they go on and suggest products to people who will buy through them, they also go through our website. It's just a unique code attributed to that ambassador. And then the relationship is with the company, but also directly with that ambassador. So if somebody has feedback about the product or they have questions or they have something you know, more specific that they're trying to uh, find relief for, then that ambassador will really talk them through that. Um, and, and offer suggestions to them and also be collecting that feedback and the, really that point of contact. So the, the goal over time is really to have ambassadors attached to all of our customers because we think that that's, you know, it's kind of like having your own health coach, somebody who can be uh, support when you need it. Uh, and if you don't, then great. You know, you can just keep engaging uh, and ordering your products online. Um, but with the ambassadors, part of that, that program is, is that, you know, for the consumer, their experience really is no different. The price doesn't change. It's all the same. But for if a consumer comes through an ambassador, then that ambassador is also uh, getting a commission from any sale that's made. And are those relationships, when you recommend and um, you know, you suggest to someone an ambassador might be useful for them, is this a virtual relationship? So it like 
where they live doesn't matter or you're trying to pair people up who live, live you know are in the same neighborhood so they can get to know these people how does that work yeah, it's a bit of both, uh, depending on what the customer wants. And so sometimes it's more profile dependent on, you know, I want someone who is a woman who has this type of a pain point who can, you know, relate to me and, and offer feedback in this in a way that is very tailored to me. Or it's more of a, you know, I, I live in this part of the state and would love somebody in this area. So it, it can vary in you know, we have the ability to to make placements there. I mean, we have a we have a small base of ambassadors right now, and as that grows over time, there'll just be more availability for wider demographics and and more locations. So, really, depending on what the consumer wants, and like I said, like at the end of the day, if they don't, they really don't feel that they need the ambassador or want the ambassador, uh, then there's uh, an opportunity just to purchase directly from the company. Got it. When you think about you know, next steps, the future for commons, what do you think are going to be the biggest um, challenges that you're going to have to face? Well, the biggest thing that we're focused on right now, uh, I mean, a variety of things is it's a startup and you're always focused on everything. Um, But it's really building that ambassador base and having active ambassadors who are educated and informed. And we've been able to kind of take them through that process and understanding uh, CBD and as other cannabinoids come out in our product line, they have, you know, making sure that that education piece is there for them and then giving them the tools to be supportive as they build and grow their own businesses. That is something that just takes time to develop and uh, to build build that number. Um, so we, we've been focused there and then really staying on top of the, the product and product innovation side of it and using the the insights that we're getting in a way that really helps inform that. Um, it's still early, so the, the body of data isn't as big as we would like it to be, but that that grows over time. And so even with the, the data that we have in these, you know, after this first year of being in business, um, we're already seeing the proof points on how you can utilize that. So it's just being able to, to keep up with that. And also remembering that, you know, you can't be everything to everybody. Uh, and so we'll probably see a lot of information that points you in one direction and you kind of have to stay the course and making sure that you're not, not getting too cluttered because it can get overwhelming at times just with the products alone. Um, and we went to market with quite a few products. We have 11 products right now. We'll have a couple more in market this year. So, uh, it's even that is a lot to explain to people. So you don't want to ever lose sight of, you know, putting the education first and making sure that the people are getting what they need in order to to have trust in the brand and the products that they're consuming and, and the structure that we're in so they feel comfortable. Do you have a, you know, for someone who's new to CBD, do you have a recommended first try or does it really depend on if they're looking for something specific to solve a pain point? Uh, so you can really, you can really go in both directions. Um, for from just a an ease of use and dosage perspective, we often recommend either one of our gummies or our mints uh, that are the gummies are we have gummies that are ten milligrams and mints that are fifteen. So it's a it's a lower dose amount. So for people who are really unfamiliar and don't know what they think of it or how they'll feel on it, we suggest starting with that just because it's that low amount uh, and 
the worst case scenario is that you feel nothing, but the product tastes good. So you at least have that. And then you can build from there. So, you know, we say that our, the products are stackable, so you can take two gummies or four gummies and a, a couple of mints um, and at least, you know, s- start low and, and build from there. Um, and then when, if it comes to something that's more of like topical pain or muscle, we'll say, you know, try the, try the balm first, but we do recommend just depending on what your, you know, your pain points are, um, having a a more of a specialized approach depending once we know what that is. But if it's just blindly like, okay, I've never tried CBD before, we'll, we'll recommend those types of products. Got it. We're about at time here. So I'm going to ask you what I always end my interviews on with, which is what is something unique you think you would never have learned if you hadn't started Commons? Um, I think that really my deep dive into the peer-to-peer model is something that I, I never would have learned had I not decided to jump into Commons. Um, you know, as much as that, that model has been around for quite some time, uh, I've, you know, we've all seen it in different businesses, whether it's Avon or Tupperware, Herbalife, and thinking about the history of it and also how it's manifested itself in, in different environments in different ways. It's just not something that I was familiar with at all and didn't really think of as something that I would ever really learn. Um, but in, in thinking about commons and where the gaps sat in the cannabinoid market, it started to very much be become obvious that it was less about the products had you know reached a certain point there was more consistency there was more testing supply chain was getting better but people were still having challenge accessing it and that's where there's the the aha moment was a bit around okay well it's not it's not the product that's broken it's the distribution and how do we find a solve for that and and also a way for more people to actually engage in the market in a, a lower you know, lower lift way than going on having to like get a license or start a business. Um, and so that took many months of research and learning about different businesses and talking to a lot of people who are in, in that direct sales, MLM, you know, peer to peer, all the different names who are in that model. And uh, yeah, never, just never expected that I would know so much about it or actually be in that space. But I think it's been a really interesting discovery point and one that, you know, we continue to be excited about as we, we see the, the, the sparks going off as people are connecting with ambassadors and really feeling that value. Um, and we're just, we're excited to keep going and growing and see where we get. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to see where you get either. So where can people go to find out more about you or Commons? Uh, so you can go to our website at commons.co or Instagram, commons underscore co. Um, also on LinkedIn, but website and Instagram are usually the best options. Perfect. We'll link to those in the show notes. Tahira, thanks so much for coming on and educating me about CBD. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey. Ian here. If you're looking for a way to support the show, why not share this episode with a friend you think will enjoy it? That's all.